All right, what's up, church? Listen, y'all, if you had known what I went through dealing with all your teens and kids the past couple of weeks, you would have applauded me a lot louder today. You're welcome. I'm just kidding. I'm just messing. Well, I'm, I'm so excited. We did have a great time at the 930. And uh, I really do believe that God has a word for us today. I believe it is a word that is going to set some people free. And so we're gonna, we're gonna lean into this. And you may not know it, but we are in the middle of a series here at Community of Faith called Summer Playlist. And it's all about how songs affect our faith and how they speak into our lives. And as I was thinking about today, I started thinking about how songs are so powerful. Songs have the ability to take us back to a moment and a memory and a place in time. We may have not heard the song for years, but it's like the minute that it comes on, we are literally transported back to the place where we first heard the song or where the memory was made, where the song was playing in the background. And for the most part, I think most of these memories and most of these songs, they remind us of good things, happy times, moments with our family and friends and loved ones. But I think if we're honest, there are also songs that we would probably want to avoid because for some, these songs might remind us of times of hurt and pain and loss, or at other times, maybe times of regret and memories of bad decisions, and even in some cases, shame. And as I was thinking about today, I was thinking about a song in particular that when it comes on, I am literally transported back in time into my grandfather's Cadillac, and I can still see him sitting in the front seat, driving the car with his nice polo, and my grandmother sitting in the back. I can still see the look of disappointment on his face, and I can hear the hint of anger in his voice, and I can still feel the shame on the inside when my grandfather discovers that I am listening to music that in his words, I knew better than to be listening to. And I'm almost embarrassed to say what the song is, but I just wanna preface this by saying that this song was really popular when I was in high school. And that song was Bootylicious by Destiny's Child. And the look of disgust and confusion on some of your faces is actually the same look that my grandfather gave me on that day. But listen, in my defense, I thought he's, he's old. He's not gonna know what the words mean. He's not, he probably's not even gonna be able to hear it. And so when I started to hear that low hum, I just cranked it up. And as it turns out, my grandfather knew exactly what Bootylicious was all about. He knew what the jelly was. He knew why we couldn't handle it. And he was so upset at me. And I love my grandmother. God love her heart. She was doing her best to defend her favorite grandson. And she's like, no, 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 no. Nathan, he wouldn't listen to music like that. It doesn't mean what you think it means. It's not as bad and filthy as you think it is, but it was. It was exactly what my grandfather thought it was. And I remember in that moment, he said something to me. He said, Man, I'm so disappointed that you grew up in church your whole life and this is what you're listening to. And it makes me wonder what else you're doing when none of us are around. And if I'm honest, those concerns would be validated over the years to come. And there would be future memories and moments made and decisions made that would bring real shame into my life. 
that wouldn't be as silly and funny as listening to a song that I should not have played in front of my grandfather. And see, I grew up in church, and so I had heard the message of God's goodness and his grace and his love and his mercy. But I thought that shame was a tool that God would use to tell me when I was messing up and when I was doing something wrong, that it was God's way of punishing me for mistakes. But I've learned much later in life a lesson I wish I had learned back then. And that lesson is that shame does not come from God. And not only does it not come from God, but that feeling that we get that makes us wanna run and hide from God, turns out that God is the person that we should be running to because it's through him that we can actually receive freedom from our shame and our guilt and our sin. And so today, I wanna talk to you just for a few moments on the subject of shameless, because I believe that there may be some people in here today that were like me, thinking you gotta fix it before you come to God, thinking you gotta get your life together before you actually come into his presence. And I'm gonna believe that through the power of his word that some people that walked in with some burdens and shame and issues are going to be set free, not because of something I say, but because of the, the power of his word. Would you pray for me? And I'll pray for you in this moment that we're going to dive into God's word. Dearly Father, I thank you for every person that is in this place and watching online. I thank you for your word. And I ask right now in this moment that you would move, that you would do what you set out to do today. Father, I pray that for those that walked into this place, carrying mess and burden and shame, I declare in the name of Jesus that they're going to walk out of this place set free by the power of Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we speak it. And everybody said, amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you, open them up with me to the book of Genesis. I'm gonna be reading out of Genesis chapter two, and I'm going to be starting with verse 15. And I don't wanna assume that you've been in church before, and so I wanna kind of lay the foundation before we dive into this. I don't have time to go through it today, but I would, I would urge you at some point on your own to go back and study Genesis 1. Genesis 1 is where God begins to create the heavens and the earth and everything that's in it. And every time God creates something and he looks at the beauty of what he created, he says, it is good. And so when we come to chapter two, God has created the earth and now he is taking his greatest creation and he is placing it in the garden. And that greatest creation is mankind. Let's read this. It says in Genesis chapter two, starting with verse 15. So the Lord God took the man he had made and he settled him in the garden of Eden to cultivate and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may freely, unconditionally eat the fruit from every tree of the garden, but only from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. Otherwise, on the day that you eat from it, you shall most certainly die because of your disobedience. This is important because at the opening of this passage, we see the character and the goodness of God represented in the life of Adam. You may not know this, but if you look it up, there are over 2,000 edible fruits that are available to us today. And I believe that if you went back to the garden, the garden, you would see all of that fruit available to Adam. 
And God commanded him. He said, without condition, you can eat anything and everything that you want in this garden, except for one tree in the middle. And I think this is where Adam and Eve ultimately get messed up. Because I think in today's world, a lot of us can relate to hyper-focusing on what we don't have instead of focusing on what we do have. We get so caught up in trying to keep up with everybody else around us and what we see everybody else doing and all of the problems in the world and all of the issues that we see. And instead of focusing on all of God's goodness and all that he's blessed us with, we get hyper-focused on the warnings that God gives and the things that God says, I don't want you to have that. But James says it like this. It says in James chapter one, verse 17, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. This is telling us that if it's good for your life, God will bless you with it. God will give it to you. But if it's not good, if God says in his word, don't go there, don't do that, don't say that, we shouldn't do it. Why? Because God loves us and he will give us good things. If it's not good, God doesn't want you to have it, not because he's trying to keep you from something, but because God knows that if you have it and partake in it, it will ultimately lead to bad things in your life. And ultimately it will lead to destruction in your life. And so God loves us enough that just like Adam, he gives warning. He says, you can have all of this, but avoid this one tree. In verse, in verse 18, it says, now the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. So I will make him a helper, one who balances him, a counterpart who is suitable and complementary for him. So the Lord God formed out of the ground every animal of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called the living creature, that was its name. If you've got something, you can write it down. That's a scripture to remember because it's gonna come up later in our text. In verse 21, it says, so the Lord God caused a deep sleep because there were no animals that could be found as a suitable helper for Adam. So the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. And while he slept, he took one of the ribs out of Adam and he closed up the flesh at that place. And the rib, which the Lord God had taken from the man, he fashioned and formed into a woman and he brought her and presented her to the man. And then Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And for this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. I love that in the beginning, God recognizes that in order for Adam to accomplish what God has called him to do, that he can't do it alone. And if I'm honest for introverts like me, this is a tough passage of scripture to get. But the truth is, if you're going to complete the assignment that God has on your life, if you're going to do the things that God has called you to do, if you're going to walk in his will and his favor so that you can be blessed, you got to surround yourself with the right people who can help you on your journey to do what God's called you to do. My favorite line that I love to hear people say that don't really know the Bible, they'll say, but Jesus ate with sinners. And that's true. Jesus did eat with sinners, but he did life with the disciples. And in our modern understanding of church, we flipped it. 
We do life with sinners, and then every once in a while, we'll have a meal on Sunday morning or in a small group for 15 minutes during the week, and we're doing life with people in the world, and we're just eating meals with fellow believers. We've got it backwards. And God knows that if we're really gonna do what we're supposed to do, we gotta have the right people sharpening us. It says in Proverbs that iron sharpens iron. That means you gotta get some people around you that can pick you up when you fall and some people that you can pick up when they're going through some messes and they're going through some stuff. Years ago, God blessed me with my best friend, a guy named Kaysad. And when I first got into ministry, ministry I was pastoring down in Tennessee and Kaysad was one of my volunteers. And he quickly became somebody that was really close to me and somebody who was considered a friend. And later on, when I started doing ministry in St. Louis, Kaysad felt the calling of the Lord on his life and he became a pastor and he actually came and worked for me. And now he's in Ohio and he's doing ministry there and I'm down in Texas doing ministry here. And we still have conversations regularly because we're best friends and we know that we need each other to do what God's called us to do. And I remember a couple of months ago that Kaysad called me and he was going through some issues and he was dealing with some, some stuff in his life, some sin that was kind of taking over and causing him to fall into temptation. And I remember he called me and he was so distraught. He was so upset by this issue that he was dealing with. And not only that, he didn't want anything to do with church anymore. He was kind of mad at the church and he didn't want to read his Bible anymore and he didn't want to pray and he didn't want to go to church. He didn't want anything to do with it. In fact, he wanted to run as far away from God as possible. And he said, I don't know what to do. And so being somebody that had been a pastor in his life, I said, man, let's, let's start doing a Bible study together. Let's meet together at the point where the temptation is screaming the loudest. And let's get together and let's just start studying the word of God together. Because see, here's the deal. It's when you're alone that temptation will start to creep up on you and sin will become that much more tempting. And it's when you're alone that shame for your mistakes and your issues can become all-consuming. And so I said, man, whatever time you're dealing with it, that's when we'll do the Bible study. And so for him, it was late at night. And so we started having a Bible study every Thursday night at 1030 at night. I would get on a Zoom call with him and we would go till about midnight, 1230, one in the morning, just studying through God's word. And after a while, Kesad started to get better. He started to get over some of these issues. God started to refill him again. He got confident in what he was doing. And if I can be honest, while he was getting filled up, I was becoming more and more depleted. And while he was getting over his stuff, I was starting to have issues. And all of a sudden I was starting to question the calling on my life. And I was questioning whether I was really called to be a pastor. And I was frustrated, if I can be real, I was frustrated with things at Community of Faith. And I was frustrated with my staff. And I was frustrated with people. And I said, man, I, in a moment of, of anguish, I texted him and I said, dude, I can't do this anymore. I can't meet with you anymore. I love you. I'm so glad you're on a good path. But I said, I'm in a place where I don't know what I'm gonna do, but I don't think God has called me anymore. Maybe I missed him. Maybe I'm in the wrong spot and I'm doing the wrong thing. So I said, just pray for me because I can't do this anymore. And Kaysad could have been that type of friend that once you give them what they need, they don't want anything to do with you anymore. 
But instead, he understood that in that moment, I needed somebody to pick me up. And he would call me, and he would text me, and he would send me sermons, and he would send me scripture, and he would remind me about the promises and the things that God had spoken over my life. And I remember in one of my darkest days, I called him up, and I was so upset. And I said, I'm done with this whole pastoring thing. I said, I don't think I've ever helped anybody. I don't think I, maybe I wasn't even called to be a pastor. Maybe I just completely missed God. I said, I don't know that I've ever helped anybody. I don't know that I've ever led well. I don't know that I've ever helped the staff that have been under my care. I said, I'm done. And I'll never forget his response to me in the most loving way he could say it. He said, Paul, you're an idiot. Okay, maybe it wasn't that loving, but he said that. And he said, that's not the voice of God in your life. That's the voice of the enemy who knows that God has something good for you just around the corner. And while you're feeling moments of pain, you need to get on the phone and call me so that I can remind you that you're anointed and you've been called and you've been set apart to do a work for God's kingdom. And he started to remind me of everything that God has done through my ministry and people I've helped and people I've blessed. And he said, to this day, there are people all around America that have worked for you and sat under your leadership who are now doing ministry because of your influence in their lives. Why am I telling you that? I'm telling somebody today who walked in this place and you've been trying to do life all by yourself. And can I tell you something? You need some people who will surround you and be there for you, who can lift you up in moments of weakness because God has something he wants to do in your life. That's why we have small groups. That's why we offer opportunities for you to serve. It's, let me tell you something. It's not so the staff has more to do. It's because we want to see God do great things in your life. And just like Adam, we know that we can't do it alone. So God creates this helper. And I love this last verse in chapter two. In verse 25, it says, and the man and his wife were both naked and they were not ashamed or embarrassed. See, I love this. This is God's way of saying you are perfect just the way I created you. Everything I placed inside of you was for a purpose, on purpose. God didn't mess up when he created you. God didn't mess up when he created Adam and Eve. He wanted them to know you don't have to be ashamed and embarrassed for what I've placed inside of you. And I worry about this generation because there are some people that allow the negativity of others who don't understand your calling, who don't understand what God has placed on the inside of you. And you're allowing those negative influences to determine what you do with your life. That's why I'm so careful about what I allow to be spoken over my children because I want them to know that they have been called to be used mightily by God. So when people say about my oldest and they'll say, well, you know, she's kind of bossy. I'll say, uh-uh, she is a leader and she's going to lead people into the presence of God and lead people into the kingdom of God. They'll say about my middle daughter, they'll say, you know, she's kind of flighty. She's kind of all over the place. And I'll say, uh-uh, she is an artist and God is downloading blueprints and plans and ideas because she is going to change culture and she's going to usher in a shift in her generation. I want them to know that there is not a mistake in their bodies, that every single thing that God placed on the inside of them, he has a purpose for. 
And I, I would dare say that some of you today, some of those things that others are calling negative in your life are actually seeds that God has planted because he has a purpose for them to yield fruit for his kingdom. Amen? Amen. And so in Genesis chapter three, this is where things begin to kind of go off the rails for Adam and Eve. And it says in verse one that now the serpent was more crafty, subtle, skilled in deceit than any living creature of the field which the Lord God had made. And the serpent, and my translation says, Satan said to the woman, can it really be that God has said you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? This is a word for somebody who owns a snake as a pet, okay? The Bible's clear, Satan. Okay, that's free, that's just for you. Bless some of you, help you out. And the woman said to the serpent, well, we may eat from the trees of the garden, except the fruit from the tree which is in the middle of the garden. And God said, you shall not eat from it nor touch it, otherwise you will die. But the serpent said to the woman, you certainly will not die. For God knows that on the day you eat from it, your eyes will be open. That is, you will have greater awareness and you will be like God, knowing the difference between good and evil. See, what Eve is struggling with in this moment is what I call secondhand faith. See, her whole understanding of what God had spoken and what his word says was based on somebody else. If you go back to chapter two, you'll see that Eve was not around when God gave the command to not eat of the fruit in the center of the garden. And so when you look here and the, ser the serpent asks her and he says, well, did God say you can't eat it? And she says, well, God said, I can't eat it and I can't touch it. But if you go back, God didn't say anything about touching it. And because she didn't have a firm foundation and relationship directly with God, it caused her to misunderstand the command that God had given. And as a result, it was going to lead to her slipping up and messing up. One of the things that I worry about people who are around today is that for a lot of people, their relationship is not based on actual intimacy with God. It's not because they've spent time reading their word or they've spent time in prayer. It's just based on what they hear preachers get up on a stage and say. It's based on, on little scriptures that look cute on Instagram with a picture of a mountain in the background. It's, it's whatever they heard on podcasts or read on a blog. That's their understanding of God and what his word says. But the problem is, is that when your whole relationship with God is based on other people, it can cause you to stumble and get messed up. I experienced this in my own life. I grew up, I'm a third generation pastor. My dad is a pastor, his dad is a pastor, and my mom's dad was a pastor. And so I got church 24 seven. We came to church Sunday morning. We came to church Sunday night. We came on Wednesdays. If those doors were open, I was at church. And yet my whole understanding of God and who he was was based on what I would hear my father speak. It wasn't because I read my Bible. It wasn't because I actually prayed. And it would take me coming to the end of myself because all of a sudden when I got out into the world and I went away to college, I found other people who didn't exactly believe like me. And instead of having a sure foundation that I could stand on, I began to get pulled in different directions. And I began to do things I never thought I would do. And I began to try things that I never thought I would try. 
And I ended up becoming somebody that got drunk all the time, somebody that tried drugs, somebody that did all of these things. And it took me going through a bout of depression. It took me going through all of these issues and problems to be in a church service just like this. And I was so broken and I felt so bad about myself and I felt so guilty and I felt so much shame. And I remember I sat in there and they got done and the preacher said, he said, listen, if you want to receive Jesus today as your Lord and Savior, raise your hand and I want to pray with you. And that was old school. So if you accepted Jesus back then, you had to like walk down in front of everybody. And this was my grandpa's church and I really didn't want him to know I wasn't living right. But I could just feel the Holy Spirit on the inside of me saying, you got to go, you got to go. And so I walked up to the front and in that moment, I gave Jesus my entire life. I said, I'm broken, I'm messed up, I keep making bad choices, I keep making mistakes, but God, whatever I have, I give to you. If you'll use me, I'm here, I'm yours. And that was the moment that my life began to change. All of a sudden, I had a desire to read the Bible for myself. All of a sudden, I had a desire to not just watch people do worship, but I actually had a desire to lift my hands and worship myself. I had a desire not just to hear my father pray, but to pray myself and seek God for direction. And I learned that the Bible's not as boring as I thought it was. And I learned that not only will God allow me to talk to him, but if I will take a moment to listen, he will actually speak back and give me direction and it was at that moment that God began to set my life on the right path. Because in that moment, God changed from being a box that I would check off every single week to somebody that I had relationship with, to somebody that I discovered loved me and had great plans for my life. And so I'm telling you, whether you realize it today or tomorrow or weeks or months from now, God wants to have a relationship with you. God loves you. God sent Jesus to die for you because he wants to have relationship with you. I'm not saying it's bad to come to church and listen to messages. I'm not saying podcasts are bad, but I'm saying God desires to speak into your life, to speak good plans and a future and a hope. So Eve struggles with this because she hadn't heard directly from God. And this is the moment that the enemy starts whispering lies into her life. And the serpent said to the woman, you certainly will not die for God knows that on the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing the difference between good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was delightful to look at and a tree to be desired in order to make one wise and insightful, she took some of its fruit and she ate it. And she also gave some to her husband with her and he ate. And then the eyes of the two of them were opened. That is their awareness increased and they knew that they were naked and they fastened fig leaves together and they made themselves coverings. And in verse eight, it says, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. So the man and his wife hid and kept themselves hidden from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called Adam and he said, where are you? He said, well, I heard the sound of you walking in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. And God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? 
See, in this moment, the way that the enemy got a hold of Eve was by perverting the character of God and trying to tell her, hey, listen, the reason God doesn't want you involved in that, the reason that God doesn't want you to eat of that tree is because God knows that if you eat of it, you're gonna become better and you're gonna become great just like him. And in a moment of weakness, not only does Eve eat of the fruit, but Adam does. And what do they do the moment they see each other? They experience shame. And they do what most of us do. They try to cover it up and hope that nobody will see what they see. That nobody will find out what they did and the mistakes that they made. And in the moment where they should have ran to God, they run from him in hiding. Because that's what shame will cause us to do, to think that we've got to get it all together before we actually approach God. Years ago, when I was nine years old, I stumbled across pornography for the first time. It was totally by accident. And it would be something that would stick with me for years and years and years. And I've got news for some parents and grandparents in this place. Listen, the average age that most young people will see pornography is nine or 10 years old. And I didn't know what I was looking at, but I knew that I liked what I saw and I became addicted to it. But I also knew that there wasn't something right about it. And so I was ashamed and I tried to hide it and keep it from everybody. And I remember one day I got the courage to go to my, one of my teachers at a Christian school that I was attending. And I'm like, I'm going to go to him because maybe he can, he can help me. I just remembered his name, Mr. Hackney. I went to Mr. Hackney and I said, hey, I'm, I'm struggling with pornography. I'm looking at stuff I know I shouldn't be looking at, but I don't know how to deal with it. I don't know who to go to. I don't know how to how to turn away from it. And I will never forget the look of disgust on his face. And I would love to tell you that in that moment, he prayed for me and he affirmed me and he helped me, but instead he shamed me. And he said, I don't know what to tell you. I guess you're kind of a pervert. And in that moment, I was so broken and I was so hurt because I'd went to somebody, I had, I had opened up, I had been transparent about something I was struggling with. And in that moment, I felt more shame than I had ever felt in my life. And as a result, I would deal with that shame and I would deal with that pain for years and years and years until I discovered that I didn't have to get it all together before coming to God. He already knew what I was struggling with. I didn't have to fix my brokenness to come to God. He just wanted me to come to him. And it was the moment that I came to him and said, God, I have this burden. I have this thing that I'm dealing with. God, I have this disease. I have this sin. And the moment that I turned it over to him was the moment that God began to turn my life around and God began to do a work in me. And God began to remove that sin and that issue that had held me captive for so long. And I believe as I've been praying and seeking God about today that there are probably some people here today that are dealing with some shames and some hurts and some bad decisions and some baggage that you've been carrying with you your whole life and you've convinced yourself that you gotta get it right. You gotta fix it before you come to God. And yet can I tell you that God loves you right where you are and he loves you enough not to leave you there he wants to do a work in your life if you will just come to him. So after this moment when Eve eats the fruit and now they're hidden, God begins to dole out the punishment. And I won't go through all of that today, but there are consequences for our sin. But I love this next part at the goodness of God. 
I'm going to read verse 20 and 21, and I'm going to close with this. In verse 20, it says that the man named his wife Eve, which means life spring and life giver, because she was the mother of all the living. And in verse 21, it says, the Lord God made tunics of animal skins for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. I have read this story a million times and until I was studying last night, I never realized that up until this moment, Eve never had a name. When she was created, she was called woman. And yet in this moment, after her brokenness, after she had sinned and made a mistake that would spin humanity spiraling out of control, she is given the name of life giver before she ever had a child. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, even in her brokenness and sin and shame, I still had a promise, a hope, and a future for her life. And I don't know who needs to hear that today, but I want you to know that I don't care what you've done. I don't care how many mistakes that you've made. God has a future and a hope and a plan for your life. But it starts with this. Because before God kicks them out of the garden, it says this, I want to read it. 21, it says, the Lord God made tunics of animal skins for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. Before God sends them out into the world and closes off the garden, the Bible says that he sacrifices animals and he clothes and covers their shame. And that would speak to the goodness of a God who does the same thing for you and for me. Because God loved us so much that he sent his only son, Jesus, to die and be the ultimate sacrifice so that all we would have to do is bring our shame, our pain, and our sin to him. And just like Adam and Eve, he will cover us and he will make us new. I love the fact that she is the mother of all living things, which means even though she was broken and in that moment, I'm sure hurting, the thousands of years later, out of her lineage would come Jesus Christ, the savior of the entire world. I love that God is able to take what is broken and he can cause it to be redeemed and he can use it ultimately for his good. I wanna do something this morning. I'm getting ready to pray for you, but I wanna offer you the opportunity to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. I would, be a, I, I would be amiss if I spent this whole time talking about his goodness and his favor and his grace and then not offer you an opportunity to step into it. So I'm gonna ask all over this place and you online to bow your heads and close your eyes just for a moment. And we're gonna say a prayer together. That way nobody feels embarrassed. And this is what I believe. The Bible teaches us that if we confess and believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for us, that he rose again, if we'll confess our sins to him, he is faithful to forgive us. And I believe that if you say this prayer today, that you will be forgiven and your eternity and your life will be changed forever. Would you say this prayer with me? Say, Jesus, I love you and I thank you that you died on the cross for me. And three days later, you rose again. So right now, in this moment, I ask you to come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. 
from this day forward, I declare you are Lord. I make you boss of my life and I choose to follow you. Let me pray for you. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for every person that is under the sound of my voice. God, I thank you that your burden is light and your yoke is easy. And Father, I declare right now in the name of Jesus that if there is any person in this place, God, if there is anyone joining us online and they're dealing with shame and burdens and sin, that right now in the name of Jesus, they would lay it at your feet. And I declare that they are leaving this place different than the way that they walked in. I declare that they are whole, that they are healed from the top of their heads to the soles of their feet. And God, I thank you for the work that you've done here today. And I declare that their best days are ahead of them. In Jesus' mighty name, if you receive that, say amen. Amen.